This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Catalyst UK Project showcases ARM This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, and on this special sponsored episode of This Week in HPC, I'm joined by representatives from the Catalyst UK Project, which is a special project highlighting ARM processors across three HPC sites across the UK. Today, I'm joined by Mark Parsons, who's the director of EPCC and the professor of high-performance computing at the University of Edinburgh. Mark, thanks for being here with me. Thanks very much, Addison. As well as Mark Wilkinson from Leicester. He's the professor of astrophysics there at the University of Leicester and the director of the DRAC facility. Mark, thanks for being with me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, Simon McIntosh-Smith, who's the Professor of High Performance Computing at the University of Bristol. Simon, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Addison. Thanks for having me. All right, we're here talking about the Catalyst UK project, which is doing high-performance computing with ARM processors. Now, we've seen a lot with ARM in high-performance computing, including, most notably, with the Fugaku supercomputer uh, in, at Riken in Japan, currently on top of the top 500 list. A lot of what we've seen with uh, these processors has been using ARM in uh, in in concert together with accelerators. Now, this is doing all ARM homogeneous systems for high performance computing with um, with systems provided by HPE. Mark Parsons, can you tell me a little bit about the genesis or the uh, the history of this project, how it got going? So this all started uh, about two two and a half years ago when HPE uh, started thinking about two things. One was how did they um, uh, try and help grow the use of HPC in the UK? But also, uh, how did they try and grow the use of HPC uh, in the context of uh, new ARM processors appearing on the scene? And, and in the context of this project, it was the uh, arrival of the Thunder X2 processor. Um, so initially, I know that HPE approached the government and were looking to do some sort of um, uh, industrial uh, government partnership. Uh, that was uh, uh, proved somewhat complicated. So um, it was agreed that um, uh, HP would go ahead with the project with the uh, three universities uh, represented on the call, Edinburgh, uh, Bristol and Leicester. Um, and um, as such, um, about two years, a little bit under two years ago, each of us received um, uh, a large ARM-based HPC system from HPE as part of the, uh, the Catalyst programme. So just to add uh, a little bit about the, the motivation um, in terms of the, the interest on all sides for, for doing this was that um, we wanted to try out various different workloads on ARM-based clusters and see how uh, they would perform relative to uh, other uh, systems and also what the systems in terms of technical support would be uh, would be like for the technical teams to to stand up and operate. 
Now, I know that a lot of the vendors have uh, partnered together in order to to uh, to sponsor this. It's, uh, we've been mentioning HPE, of course, with the systems, Marvell with the Thunder X2 processors, ARM itself, Sousa, Mellanox have been involved. Um, now, Simon, you've been one of the most uh, visible uh, influencers in high performance computing in terms of the benchmarking of ARM. Can you talk about you know the systems that you got installed and your experience so far? Sure. And if, in fact, one of the main motivations for trying these Catalyst systems was really about trying to bring the the software ecosystem up to a, the right level of maturity, so these things could become a viable option for for almost anyone. So what we've been what we've all been doing at the three sites is is throwing everything we can at these systems. We've been trying um, everything from new libraries, new um, storage subsystems, um, new communication libraries, new math libraries, and all kinds of different applications to try and flesh out any issues. So what things don't work, what things are missing, what things work but need improving. And there's been a lot of work across three sites um, really hammering on these boxes to to flush out all of these problems, and a lot of progress has been made—a really tremendous progress. And actually, the the whole support you mentioned, all of those different partners who are involved—they've um, all been tremendously supportive. We've been having monthly meetings, um, and loads of issues that have been uh, discovered. Of, of many of those have already been resolved, and the systems have had quite a big impact on on improving the maturity and getting these systems really ready for for mainstream HPC. And Simon, I'll stay with you for a second, because this has been interesting that these are completely homogeneous ARM systems, including head nodes, storage nodes, et cetera. And you've been experimenting, of course, with all of the software. I appreciate that you brought that up because completing the software ecosystem is, is you know, that's, that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? You want all of these things to run efficiently. You've got experience now with BGFS, Luster, XFS. You know, wh- what's that experience been like? shaking out these uh, ARM systems? Right in the very early stages of the project, all the hardware was there, but the software was all new, right? The hardware hadn't really existed to be running this software on. So right at the very start, um, some of the software just worked, and that was fabulous. Some software worked, but it wasn't performing at the level we wanted. And that's taken a little bit of deep diving into what's really been going on with the partners, and and SUSE in particular has been really, uh, really useful in that regard. Um, some of the storage issues as well have taken some really um, deep analysis there. Um, and some parts were just missing, and those things just didn't exist yet. And over the two years or so, uh, more and more of those pieces have, have started to appear, especially as the ARM HPC ecosystem has continued to kind of expand. And we're, we're seeing it start to appear in some of the cloud providers as well. And that's really helping kind of broaden and accelerate the whole um, software ecosystem on ARM, and we've been able to start benefiting from that back into the into the Catalyst program in the UK. Mark Parsons, I'll I'll come back to you. What what's your view been on about the uh, maturation of the software ecosystem around ARM for high performance computing? So I think you know it's well obviously I I concur what Simon said. I think the interesting thing is there's a distinction between the ease of use of the programming environment for users and some of the challenges we found in terms of um, um, operating system um, support, particularly around Luster and things like that. So from a user point of view, 
actually, by and large, users have had a good experience. Um, you know, for example, um, uh, last summer, in fact, we put a user that was doing modeling uh, for the UK government for the COVID response on the system. They needed very quick access to a nice big system. We put them on it. They never knew that they weren't using a traditional processor, shall we say. They just got on, compiled their code, it ran, they did their, their science. And I think a number of users have had that sort of experience. Where things got more complicated was when we wanted to add new system level functionality that wasn't um, available in the first system setup that we got. So we started off on SLES 12, patch to service pack three, and we wanted to move from the initial PBS um, um, scheduling system we had to Slurm. Uh, we wanted to move, we wanted to get Lustre working, so native Lustre clients and Lustre servers running. Um, and we also wanted to um, explore frequency scaling. And what we discovered that none of that was available on SLES 12. So we decided to move to SLES 15. And that um, for us um, opened a lot of challenges, which was actually good, right? That gave us a lot of really interesting work to do on the system side. Um, because what you discover is on the system side, there's still not that much ARM support for some of the stuff we might take for granted over an x86 LAN. I appreciate that you were talking about your end user doing COVID research, not just because that's been the application of our time, uh, but because uh, a supercomputer without an application running on it is just a very expensive space heater. And this is what really becomes interesting about these new systems is finding out what kind of research they're going to be most efficient for. Mark Wilkinson, so you're hearing, we're talking about the the maturation of the uh, software ecosystem. Can you comment on that, but also on what areas of research you're finding some success on with ARM in high-performance computing? Certainly. So um, just to echo what... Uh, Simon and Mark have already said, I think the, uh, we have found that the software ecosystem, the system software ecosystem has uh, matured quite a bit over the course of, of Catalyst, but um, the for the users, the, the experience has been very positive. So um, we all had uh, hackathon events fairly soon after installing the new systems, and that was allowing some of our users to have direct access to them supported by HPE and ARM. And um, all the feedback we got from that was, was very positive in terms of the performance that people were seeing, but also how quickly people got things up and running. Um, on the technical side, one comment I had from our technical team was that in terms of the initial installation, um, it was very much like a, a normal cluster. It got up and running. Uh, relatively uh, straightforwardly. So it, it wasn't uh, particularly challenging um, from that perspective. But uh, as we've said, there were there were some uh, things that had to be uh, worked on over, over the course of the, the program. Um, so workloads that uh, have, we've run a lot on the, the Lester system, there's been uh, quite a bit of cosmology research. So large scale simulations um, of galaxy formation and we've also had uh, workflows from the UK Atomic Energy Agency um, doing some of their large-scale calculations. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, the one of the uh, features of 
arm that was beneficial to those codes was the, the uh, increase in the number of memory channels. So we found that the, the codes which uh, could benefit from, the, from that uh, larger uh, amount of memory bandwidth, that they were able to, uh, that they saw the, the greatest improvement. But I think overall, um, the users were very pleased with how similar it was to uh, environments that they were familiar with. And obviously that's important in terms of it being a viable uh, uh, type of system to deploy everyone, including the users and the, the tech support uh, teams, everything needs to be there and, and work. And that, uh, that's when it becomes uh, very, uh, very, it can become very much a standard uh, offering. I appreciate the comment about the memory channels and you know we've seen things like the stream benchmark coming back. I hadn't talked about the stream benchmark uh, in many years and uh, the the stream triad has is, is really gotten a, a extra attention now with some of the memory characteristics of ARM and Simon uh, I already mentioned earlier you've been one of the the uh, the most visible benchmarkers of of ARM. What are you seeing in terms of where it where you find it being most applicable in terms of high performance computing and the types of applications where an ARM architecture can really shine. Yeah, I think you've highlighted one of the main characteristics that was very attractive about these systems and it was that very high memory bandwidth. Um, and in order to give these systems a really good test, we've been throwing pretty much everything that we work on at these systems. So everything from synthetic benchmarks from stream uh, on upwards and to um, as many different real codes as we, as we can find. And we've, we found that where the codes were more memory bandwidth bound, those are the ones where it tended to do really, really well. Um, and you find those in all different areas, right? So we were finding engineering codes, things like open foam from the computational fluid dynamics area worked really well. And then also in spaces like um, computational chemistry and biochemistry, um, weather and climate forecasting, many of these codes are very, very memory bandwidth bound. And so being able to give them lots of cores um, with lots of memory bandwidths would really, really work well. Um, and, and again, we were finding most users were finding it very easy to, to get onto these systems and recompile codes and just run them. And it just feel like any other system. That was a really, a really pleasant outcome, which we were hoping for, but you're never quite sure it's going to work out that way until you've, you've really got the results in. We've been tracking the progress of ARM architectures in our research, now seeing over 20% of high-performance computing users in our surveys that are, that are reporting at least some experimentation with ARM. Mark Wilkinson, uh, where do you see this going next? Just following on from, from Simon's comment about uh, memory bandwidth, one interesting uh, thing that we noticed and probably with hindsight, it's it's obvious. But we had workloads um, where, for physical reasons, in other words, the the actual physical systems they were simulating, different phases of the uh, simulation were either compute limited or memory bandwidth limited. And it was interesting to compare how the performance of the ARM system relative to other systems changed depending on which phase it was in. So. When it was in a memory bandwidth uh, limited phase, it ARM did well. When it was in the compute limited phase, uh, the the ARM one uh, wasn't necessarily quite as good. It was as good as you would expect, given the uh, the power of the chips that were uh, of the processes that were in the system. Um, so that was an interesting uh, 
uh, insight which uh, would affect how you would want to plan for uh, a kind of non-homogeneous system in the future where you would have multiple, uh, potentially multiple architectures all contributing to. So to uh, talk about your, your point about where this is going in the future, I think the, um, the very interesting uh, development from uh, within uh, ARM, you mentioned the Fugaku system um, earlier in, the, in this podcast, is um, the uh, vectorization and so having uh, the vector extensions being included um, as part of the, the ARM ecosystem, and that's uh, coming in with the, uh, the chips that are in Fugaku and in future um, generations of the, uh, the Thunder X2. And so that's uh, definitely something which we would expect to benefit uh, a lot of our codes. Um, it'll take more work to be able to use them and exploit them, but it's that that's certainly something that we're um, watching with a lot of interest. And I believe one of you has a system now where you are adding in some NVIDIA GPUs to look at uh, AI and machine learning. Is that right? Yeah, we've um, added some nodes in Bristol. Uh, we've got some some additional Catalyst nodes with Thunder X2 and some um, NVIDIA GPUs. And so that's a great way of getting started with that, especially in light of what's, what NVIDIA has been announcing and, and where they're, they're going. It's very exciting to see that um, coming up, I think that's another really important part of what's happening with with ARM in HPC in the future. I think NVIDIA has some really big plans there. And so again, there's lots of work to do to make sure that the software stack is all going to work there with, with ARM-based CPU hosts to NVIDIA GPUs. And we're now able to, to get some of that work started. Mark Parsons, I'm accustomed to partnering with you on the other side of uh, some of the vendor showdown sessions at ISC. Now, the ISC is going to be a little different as virtual this year, but as we head into ISC, are we going to be able to find any information about Catalyst UK or where can our listeners go to uh, learn more about the project? Those of us that are taking uh, stands, uh, virtual stands at ISC will have uh, uh, information linked from there. And I'm certain that the HPE uh, stand uh, will also have links to Catalyst as well. I've been speaking with Mark Parsons of University of Edinburgh, Simon McIntosh-Smith from the University of Bristol, and Mark Wilkinson from University of Leicester. Thanks to all three of you for joining me to talk about the Catalyst UK project brought to us by HPE. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.